About a decade ago, a South Korean filmmaker named Hwang Tong-hyuk had an idea for a story. He imagined a group of characters, down on their luck, in debt, who were offered a once-in-a-lifetime chance at financial stability that can win millions of dollars by competing in a series of Korean kids' games. The only catch is that if they lose, they die. The concept was disturbing, dystopian, and it reflected some of the economic struggles that Huang himself was facing. Our colleague, Timothy Martin, recently got in touch with Huang. This guy did not have to dig too deep to find inspiration for the storyline. At the time, he was struggling financially. He was living with his mother and grandmother. At one point, he even had to stop writing the script because he had to sell his laptop for cash. And when Huang did finish the script, no one was all that interested in producing it. Local studios and even actors rejected it, thought it was too grotesque, too violent, too implausible. But after years of rejection, Netflix decided to make it. Now, Huang's series, Squid Game, is on track to be the platform's biggest show ever. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, October 12th. Coming up on the show, how Netflix turns Squid Game into a global streaming mega-hit. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Squid Game's success caught a lot of people by surprise, but the show didn't emerge in a vacuum. South Korea has been exporting hits in one medium or another for decades. You know, starting in the 90s, really, South Korea was already exporting any number of electronic goods or heavy machinery manufacturing items. And they came up with this idea to try and attempt the same thing with pop culture. It was perhaps an asymmetric thing it could offer the world. So there was government investment, and they were able to create some early successes. K-pop was one of those successes. Hits like G from the K-pop group Girls' Generation took off outside South Korea. Korean TV dramas were another bright spot. South Korean media became so popular across Asia that the trend even got its own name, Hallyu, which means Korean wave. And that's continued up to today. If you factor in the size of the country, Korea is definitely punching above its weight. I mean, BTS is atop the billboard charts. Blackpink, a K-pop girl band, has the most subscribers on YouTube of any artist in the world. If we dial back the clock far enough, we can remember Gangnam Style oh, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the horse dancing. Open Gangnam Style! I could still probably do the dance, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, it was only a couple years ago that Korean cinema hit this new stratosphere with Parasite. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. 
you know, which won a whole range of Academy Awards. Parasite has six Academy Award nominations and is the first film not in the English language to win Best Picture. As South Korean movies and music attracted more and more diehard fans around the world, American companies took notice. One of those companies was Netflix. Netflix expanded to the country in 2016. At the time, the company was expanding aggressively internationally, and South Korea, with its legions of TV watchers, was a major target. And Tim says that the company realized early on that to succeed in South Korea, it would need to shake up its content. Not Everyone wants to, to feast on, on U.S. shows. And, you know, for cultural reasons, like American comedies don't particularly play well uh, overseas. I've heard that The Office is, like, not understood <laughs> in places like Korea. Yes, the, the idea of a tyrant boss with a, with a soft heart um, might just be a tyrant boss uh, <laughs> in a lot, of, a lot of countries like Korea. I mean, South Korea has a crazy work culture and, you know, Michael Scott just sort of reads like every boss you've ever had in South Korea. So there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of charm in, in the boss that steps over the line. The office just wasn't going to cut it. And so Netflix started pouring money into the kinds of shows that Korean audiences already loved. K-dramas, which is short for Korean dramas. The most popular of these tended to follow a pretty set formula. They tend to be, you know, very syrupy, boy-meets-girl romance. Uh, there's usually a love triangle where there's a choice between someone who doesn't have money but has virtue and someone who, who does have money but does things the evil way and then someone trapped in the middle. And there's usually some, you know, soap opera calamity at some point, an unexpected illness, you know, a car accident that throws the plot into haywire. Korean production companies had been churning out K-dramas for decades. And they weren't just hits domestically. K-dramas had taken off across Asia, in Japan, Malaysia, Vietnam. And Netflix wanted a piece of that action. And so between 2015 and 2020, the company invested about $700 million in Korean content. What were some of the first big K-dramas on Netflix that took off? So there was a show in 2019 that followed the sort of traditional K-drama playbook. It was called Crash Landing on You. It was a South Korean heiress, uh, she landed in North Korea during a paragliding accident. So that was certainly a boy meets girl <laughs> type of type of show that I <laughs> Lit- think literally. <laughs> girl falls on boy's head, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at a time of uh, inter-Korean uh, diplomacy and outreach, mm-hmm. um, certainly timely in that regard. Crash landing on you did well. It was an especially huge hit in South Korea. But an even bigger hit was in the works, one that would bring South Korean TV to a truly global audience. With that, let the game begin. Green light. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. This episode is brought to you by Workday. 
Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. When Wong Tong Hyuk wrote that bleak script for Squid Game a decade ago, Nobody wanted to make it. But when Netflix arrived, Huang had a new place to pitch. He actually had a friend a few years ago suggest he turn the script into a webtoon, which is an online comic. And that was when he thought, well, maybe I should pitch this to Netflix. And Netflix bit. Did Netflix take any steps when it produced the show to ensure that it would translate abroad? Oh, they definitely made sure Squid Game maximized its odds to be seen globally. So out of the gates, uh, Squid Game was subtitled in 31 languages. It was dubbed in 13. And they really emphasized the aesthetic of the show. I'm sure many people have at least seen photos of Squid Game. They're outfitted in you know, bright green and pink jumpsuits with sort of fearsome-looking masks. The sets are very colorful and bright. They're, they're based on children's playgrounds. And the message to Huang was he really needed to simplify the game's rules so that anyone could understand them. And that was a big focus of his as he took this from a movie script to a TV series. Huang and Netflix also got lucky with their timing. The pandemic happened. I think wealth inequality is certainly a more visible thing that uh, the world sees. So it went from being an idea that seemed outlandish to to one that seems actually quite on point, given where we're at in 2021. In my town, we had a game called the Squid Game. We called it that because it's played in a court shaped like a squid. On September 17th, Squid Game finally came out. It was a show that I think locals took to almost immediately when it came out. And then it sort of laid low for a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, it just exploded. The show was a massive hit, and not just in South Korea. Started getting text messages and Facebook messages from friends in the U.S. and elsewhere that they've heard of the show, and it's hit sort of critical mass. And what were your friends texting you from the U.S.? A lot of questions about loan sharks. Um, A lot of questions about, are these children's games that I'm familiar with? The whole spectrum of questions from from people who have never seen a a Korean television show and and probably couldn't place Korea on a map. And what Tim was seeing in his text messages, Netflix was seeing in its audience data. According to the company, 95% of Squid Game's audience is outside South Korea. Squid Game is the number one show in more than 90 countries. Netflix, they've not revealed the data, but... They say based on the number of viewers and hours logged watching the show, it's on pace to surpass the current record holders, which are Bridgerton and Lupin. At some level, it's just, this is the thing everyone's talking about, so therefore people are watching it, and then that's maybe the principal reason. Now, Squid Game seems to be everywhere. Here are Lee Chung-jae, Park Hae-soo, Wee Han-jin, and Chung Ho-young! The Squid Game cast went on The Tonight Show, 
An actress in the series went from 400,000 followers on Instagram to more than 19 million in less than a month. Online retailers are churning out Squid Game Halloween costumes. Last I checked, the Squid Game hashtag has more than 22 billion references on TikTok. Holy cow. For the record, as of today, it's now 46 billion references on TikTok. And then there was the deluge of international prank calls. Yeah, so in an early scene from Squid Game, to gain access to this life-or-death competition, you have to dial this mysterious number. And people just started calling it, thinking it was an Easter egg uh, for the show. Unfortunately, it was a real phone number uh, <laughs> to, to people in Korea. And what was fascinating about this is we, we actually interviewed people whose actual phone numbers were a digit or even two digits off, and they were still getting bombarded with wow. text messages and calls you know, prank calls basically asking, can I, can I join Squid Game or is this Squid Game? Um, yeah, it's really disrupted uh, the life of some, some people. Netflix said it's working to edit out the phone number from the show. How big of a business win is Squid Game for Netflix? Something like Squid Game is, is like a complete home run for them. First off, the, the production costs are relatively low. You know, this is a well-oiled machine here, so they don't need to... Like they have all the sets and they know where to go, they know where to film. They're using local actors predominantly. So if you think about this as an investment, you know, uh, that translates into views and therefore subscribers and revenue for Netflix. And how big of a win is Squid Game for the Korean film industry? This is a stratosphere that Korean TV perhaps has never seen. Perhaps it's the the rival to Parasite in terms of uh, magnitude. But I think Squid Game changes the equation in two ways. I think First, Netflix has to see this and will probably deepen its investment, or or they must seriously consider deepening their investment in Korean dramas. There's clearly a market for this outside of the the K-drama diehard. And I think secondly, among Korean actors, I mean, there's any number of A-list stars um, that appear in Squid Game. You know, they're already big stars locally and and perhaps across the region, but they could become something akin to, to household names all around the world. And, and that was something that we, we just hadn't seen so vibrantly as we have with Squid Game. What do you think it is about this show that has broken through and made it so popular? I think it tapped into a neuroses, uh, a feeling that many people around the globe have of uh, this rat race we, we seem to be in. Even if you're you know not struggling paycheck to paycheck, I think... Uh, the, the core tension here of, you know, what are you willing to do to survive, I think resonates with a whole bunch of people. And I think the, you know, wh- whether it's BTS or Parasite or uh, Blackpink or any number of Korean touchpoints, we've just seen this culmination over the years of just people all around the world uh, having some familiarity with, with Korea. So I think when this show comes up, even if they're not fans at all or have never consumed anything from the country, I think they were sort of ready on some level to accept a show like this. What do you think this success of Squid Game demonstrates? It's just the latest example of how the epicenter of what people are streaming, what people are willing to watch, what people want to watch is shifting outside of Hollywood. I think even though Netflix is an American company, it certainly sees the broader chessboard and with a show like Squid Game, it shows that people just want to see good stuff and, and hits can emerge from everywhere.
That's all for today, Tuesday, October 12th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks to Docile Yoon for her reporting in this episode. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.